0: Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Message is good news of great joy, a Savior is born. Roger Thompson In in an article called Becoming a Man from Preaching Today, shares this story about a guy who doesn't get it. Listen to the writer whose article appeared in the Arkansas Democrat. This is an article. I don't know if it's real. If it's real, it is laughably sad. If it's just something somebody came up with, I I have to pat him on the back. It's really funny. Women are very touchy about certain gifts as I discovered years ago after buying my girlfriend a catcher's mitt for Christmas. It seemed to me to be a particularly thoughtful gift, especially since she claimed not to be getting enough physical exercise. But apparently, she didn't see it that way. The minute she unwrapped it, she ran sobbing from the room. At first, I thought those were tears of joy streaming down her face. I figured she was overwhelmed at being the first in her crowd to have a catcher's mitt. You know, that sort of a thing. Or I figured she was so excited she couldn't wait to get outside and work on her throws to second base. But when she didn't return after a few hours, I got the hint. (laughs) Here I'd spent all that time running around from one sporting goods store to the next trying to find the perfect gift. I mean, we're talking the Johnny Bench model here. Top of the line. And she calls me insensitive. I mean you know, you'd think I gave her a year's subscription to Field and Stream or a box of shotgun shells, which everybody knows should be saved for Christmas stocking stuffers. (laughs) Personally, I think she just had a lot of anger in her and took it out on me. Not that I'm trying to play amateur psychologist or anything. That's a guy who doesn't get it. And you know, what's unfortunate for us in the church is that, and even in the world around us especially, is many of us don't get it when it comes to what this season is really all about. We don't get who Jesus really is. We don't continue to be in awe and wonder at the idea that God came down among us and wrapped himself in a body. Approximately 2,000 years ago, God set in motion what he'd promised for thousands of years. That is the salvation of the human race and the restoration of all of creation. Jesus Christ, the creator, became a creature. Think about that. And began in the same state that all of us do as harmless, dependent little babies. In this event, a savior was born in human form. Glory to God in the highest. He became one of us. And a Savior was born in Jesus Christ. And that good news is called to bring us great joy. And I want to tell you, I find this time of the year that great joy is often not the emotion we experience, more like great stress, great frustration, great anger. How many of you have been to Walmart? Need I say more? Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, I want you to see this very familiar story. If you want to look on in your own Bible, you can, but Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and it says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that, he, that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now today, we're going to actually only make it through verse 14, but I just want you to notice as we kind of walk through this story some things that I believe are really relevant to us today where we live. And first of all, I want you to notice that the angel shows up, God's messenger. Angels in the Bible are always messengers or warriors. Have you ever seen that uh, term, the Lord of hosts? The Lord of hosts could also be translated the Lord of armies. So, you know, I, I guess that the idea of war and powerful beings preexisted even the creation of man. It seems that the Bible... Lays out a story, it, it, it's a little unclear at times, but it seems to lay out the story that in heaven before the creation of the earth, there was some kind of a, a battle, a struggle that took place with the, among the angelic hosts, and that some of the hosts are kind of set aside as warrior angels, and others are set aside as messenger angels. Maybe they, they do both. One of these angels shows up and says, fear not, And when an angel comes, it's speaking as a representative of God. So you could say it's as though God himself, because he is saying this in effect, it's as though God himself is saying, fear not, don't be afraid. And many of you probably know this, but that term, that that phrase, fear not or don't be afraid, appears all over the Bible. I've preached this here before. And it says that the text, the text says that the shepherds were Terrified they were afraid when they saw the angel Any of us would have been terrified as well if we had been confronted with a shining being from another world Just think about it right now if suddenly in this room right up here a being that was kind of elevated from the floor Because it seems to indicate they were like in the sky right and this being is here and suddenly It's there and this incredible being shining in power, begins to talk to you, what are you going to do? You're gonna, Some of you are going to be like, oops. <laughs> you didn't get that, yeah. <laughs> we'd be terrified. We'd be blown away. We'd, we'd have to check ourselves. Many of us would wonder, is this real? What did they put in the air conditioning or the heating unit this morning? What is the air full of? Because we're being confronted with an otherworldly being. And here's the other thing. One of the reasons they were afraid was not just because of the awesome power of angels, but seeing an angel often meant in the Bible judgment or death. On several occasions in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation, the appearance of angels meant that things were going to get real bad for people who were practicing evil. Evil was going to be judged and destroyed. And if your life was attached to that evil in any way... You'd possibly be destroyed along with it. I want you to think, you know, some of these shepherds, shepherds were considered in that time kind of the lowest class of people, the lowest class of working people. And they weren't esteemed, they were kind of despised and pushed away, and I think it's a beautiful picture to us of God's heart and God's nature that one of the first groups of people he appears to is a group of shepherds, and he shows up on the scene. These angels show up on the scene, and they're speaking to these shepherds, and I'll bet there were some shepherds in, in the midst of that group that were some rough characters. I bet there's some guys that, you know, they were doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing, shady stuff on the side, and they're showing up, and you can imagine they're afraid. They're like, okay, it's over. God has showed up and my life is done. And instead, the angel says, fear not. Sixty-nine different times in the NIV version in the Bible, the term, the phrase, do not be afraid or fear not shows up. This announcement takes on a larger meaning in our lives as we consider all the things that people are afraid of in this day. Think about things like terrorism and crime and our political future, the economy, our personal finances, our security, uh, unemployment, our health. Our marriage problems or crises that we 're in in our marriage rejection the, the fear of being alone. Addictions, the fear of that addiction overtaking me again, me losing that battle, the sin, the besetting sins we struggle with, and ultimately the fear of death. I mean, we live in an age of fear and we feed those fears constantly. We watch the news, we we focus on things purposely, we don't even realize it, but they provoke fear and anger in us and we feed our life with fear and anger and then we wonder why we live as people full of anxiety and fear. And I believe that if the angels of God showed up in this room right now for many of us after we kind of freaked out their message to us would be don't be afraid. I want to ask you, do you live with fear? Do you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, you know, breathing heavy like, "Oh man, And all this anxiety flooding through your head about your future, about your past, about your circumstances, about an encounter that you had that day at work, or what happened between you and your spouse. Do you live a life of anxiety and fear? It's not God's desire for you. The word of the Lord to you is don't be afraid. Why? Because there's good news of great joy for all the people. That's my second point. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, when Jesus was born, He came to bring us good news, not judgment. Good news. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Amen? Amen? God wants to reconcile people. His planet fell into sin. We became a rebel race. We've been fighting against God. And now God has this rescue plan. He has an invasion. It starts with a baby. Can you imagine any other military invasion in the history of the world that begins with one baby? God invaded planet earth to take it over in seed form in a baby. This is God's way. God's way is simple, humble, among the weak, among the rejected, among the shepherds. And He comes and He invades our world to rescue it in a baby. You know, a word that I love, a concept that I love is the idea of paradox. You know, a lot of times people get confused with the Bible because the Bible seems almost at times to contradict itself. You'll, you'll see on one hand, you know, God's love. You'll see, on the other hand, wrath and judgment. And you're like, which is it? Is God a wrathful, judgmental God? Is God a loving God? Which is it? And we get confused and we don't realize that the Bible is filled with paradoxes. In the Bible, the only way that you find life is you die. In other words, you give up your own way. You give up your soul. You give up your rights. If you seek to save your soul, your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it, for my sake, in the gospel, you'll find it. And so the scripture is this story of all these paradoxes and seeming contradictions. God's way is if you want to go up, you humble yourself. And if you want to be humbled, you exalt yourself. If you're proud, God will resist you. But if you're hungle, hunger, h- humble, he will be close to you and hungry. See, humble is humble and hungry together. I just, I'm just, i a new word, hungle, will start a new movement. So there's good news of great joy for all the people, and God's heart is good news for humanity. His disposition is restoration. His disposition is salvation. He loves, He wants to heal. People everywhere, from every background and station of life, good news and joys are yours because God has come to us in Jesus. God has come near in Jesus. He's here to deal with our sin, yes. He's here to deal with our evil, yes. He's here to come, yes, in judgment. And how's He going to judge the world? He's going to put Himself on a cross and absorb the judgment that we deserved. God's way is different. Wow. He came to bring us good news of great joy. I love those two words, great joy. Great joy. In the Greek, these two words, great joy, can literally be translated mega joy or mega gladness. The Greek word is megas. Isn't that cool? So the words are actually mega joy, mega gladness, mega cheerfulness. In this Savior, God is bringing mega gladness to the world because he's coming to rescue it and us. From the evil that pervades it. I love that. And then what's he say? I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. I want to look at those three words. Savior, Christ, and Lord. A Savior has been born. Why do we need a Savior? I mean if you've grown up in the church at all. You know we need a Savior because sin. Sin separates. Sin leads to spiritual death sin and death have ruled humankind, now a Savior is born. We know Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So so we work for sin throughout our life, and at the end we get a paycheck, and it's death, spiritual death, emotional death, physical death, eternal death. And we know that Jesus came. Uh, Matthew one twenty one says, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. The Hebrew word would have been Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. And the, the angel is, is doing a play on words here. You will call his name Yeshua, which means Yahweh is Savior. Yahweh is salvation. So you will call his name who and what he is. You'll call his name Yeshua, for he will save people from their sins, Jesus. And then this word Savior Savior in the Bible and salvation, when you see the word save, salvation, Savior, they all have the same root word, and that word is a comprehensive word which captures many different ideas, ideas like a rescuer, a deliverer, a protector, a healer who makes you whole, a preserver, a warrior who fights for your freedom. We need to be rescued and saved regularly and daily from sin and death. Let me tell you something. Jesus never stops being your Savior. See, a lot of people think, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior because when I was eight years old or when I was 18 years old or when I was 28 years old, I received Christ into my life. I asked Him to forgive my sins and become my Savior. And He's my Savior now because that one time I believed in Him. But the Scripture teaches that you are saved when you put faith in Christ. It's past tense. You are being saved. That's the continual work of God to deliver you from the power of sin and death and liberate you and bring you more and more into a holy state like God himself and that you will be saved when you receive a glorified, resurrected body and once and for all corruption and decay is put off from you and you stand in a new body, in a new heavens, in a new earth, in a recreated creation. That's the ultimate state. So he is our savior, past tense, our savior now and will be our savior in a future day. And so even right now, I need a deliverer to come. I need a rescuer to come. I need somebody to come at that moment when I'm weak and I'm about to do or say something that I'll regret to come and help me. And so we need to remember that. We need to call on Him over and over again. Jesus, come again and be my Savior because today I'm about to fall to an enemy, an enemy of my soul, an enemy that... Strives and struggles within me an enemy outside of me in the age I live Drawing me tempting me and trying to conform me to its image. Jesus come and rescue me Amen, and he is the Christ He is the Christ Christ is not Jesus last name Amen It's not the second part of a cuss phrase Right Christ is the word messiah It's the greek equivalent to messiah Jews would say Messiah. Jesus came to save us from the enemies of sin, death, and darkness. The Messiah was this almost mythological character in the Old Testament and right up to the time of Jesus who would come and rescue the Jewish people from their their oppressors and establish a kingdom of justice and peace. Under his rule, people would prosper. They'd all sit under their own fig tree. They'd have their own home. They'd till their own field. And their families would be around them. And they. this was the idyllic idea of the Hebrew mind. Is we'd be in our own land with our own fig tree, our own home, our own vineyard. And we would have community and all would be well and we would prosper. And the Messiah is going to come and he's going to take us out of the power and the grip of Rome. And he's going to liberate us and we're going to live like that. And, and the problem with that, th- there's some truth to it. It is actually a future state to a certain degree, except even better than that. But really what Jesus came to do was liberate us from the true enemy. And the true enemy wasn't an oppressor outside, but the true enemy was an oppressor within that enslaves us. And so he came to rescue us. Amen? That enemy, that sin, and and Christ, that word Christ or Messiah means anointed. So Oil would be poured upon these rulers and that oil would represent God's empowerment, God's consecration, God's energy and life, God's ability, God's graces in order to carry out that rulership. So the word literally means one who has been given all they need from God, oiled as it were, empowered as it were, so that they can carry out that calling as a messiah. And that's who Jesus is. And then it says he is Lord. He's the Lord. He's the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. It's a Greek word which means the supreme eternal being, the ruler of the heavens and the earth. As Lord, Jesus is confirmed as God. If you've ever wondered, is Jesus God? That term Lord is the same Greek word that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And it's to represent Yahweh. So here we're learning that Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, God of the Old Testament. It really captures the idea of authority over whatever his dominion is. In this case, this child is the Lord over all creation, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. He has authority over governments, kingdoms, armies, courts, And every human institution, he's in charge, he's the boss of everything. Human beings have been saying forever, you're not the boss of me to God. But Jesus is the boss of us. Whether we acknowledge it or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll either do it now willingly or we'll do it later. Look at Ephesians one twenty one and twenty two in the New Living Translation. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church why is this important because listen Jesus is not competing Jesus isn't just one world religion leader Jesus isn't just one of these guys he's not just a great guru or teacher or messianic type figure or some kind of martyr Jesus stands unique head and shoulders above all of history And when he was born, he was born king, and he was born Lord. And ultimately, all authorities, though they might rebel against him, all authority is under him. Now think about that. That's the one you can call on. Save me! Over and over again. And he's there. And so what does that lead to? That leads to peace and grace in Jesus and God being glorified. And that's what we live for. We live for the glory of God. Amen. Do you realize you were created to bring glory to God, to bring fame to him? You were created to make God look good. Do you think of ever think about that? Your life was created to be an expression that God is gracious, God is merciful, God is loving and kind and holy and powerful. Your life was created for that. Everything you do, whether it's raising your children or going to your job or mowing your lawn, all of it was to ultimately make God look good. That's why you were created. That's why you exist. Am I talking to anybody? So look at Luke 2, 13 and 14. I'm almost done here. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you read between the lines here and you see what goes on to happen in the New Testament, the angels are saying, God's coming on the scene and he's manifesting his favor toward undeserving people. And he's showing grace and kindness toward undeserving people. So they say glory to God in the highest and then peace on earth to those he favors with grace. This word pleased or favor, it means goodwill, good pleasure, good intent, benevolence, a gracious purpose. In this sense, it's a parallel to blessing. God is calling all of us to embrace his grace. To embrace His favor toward us. To press into that favor. To accept His love. It's as though when the angels pronounce it and they declare it, I think they were singing it. We know they were, there was a whole host of them, so I think they were singing it. I think it sounded amazing. And all this host... Again, use your holy imagination. Imagine the sky being lit up with angelic beings. And they began to declare glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And one translation says, good will toward men. You want to know God's disposition and heart toward us? Jesus and his birth demonstrate the gospel. God's saying, my, my heart is that you'd be at peace with God. No longer in a war, no longer in a battle. You'd be in shalom with God. And you would know his good will, his favor, his blessing, his smile, His kindness. Amen? So, praise the Lord. Why don't you stand with me?